Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 29. My guest today is Gabriel Rocha. Gabriel is a motion designer with over 15 years experience. He's originally from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, picked up his family and moved to the UK and has been working for Tendril Studio there in Canada for almost nine years. Here we go. Hey, Gabriel. Good morning. Well, good morning for me. And you're, you're where? I'm in Toronto, uh, Canada. It's oh, uh, I... 8, 8 p.m. here. Okay. So... Uh, you're looking at uh, 13 hours difference. So you're wow. going into the evening. Your day is over. Uh, how was your work day? Today was pretty relaxed. Not very often that that happens, but it was pretty relaxed. Well, listen, I really appreciate you being on the Pure Now show. It's great to have you on and uh, happy to uh, hear all the things you got going on. We can start with the fact that you're actually from Rio de Janeiro, correct? Exactly, yeah. I'm from Rio, Brazil. I moved to Canada about uh, five years and a half ago, and I moved straight to Tendril. That must have been extreme culture shock from you going from Brazil to Toronto, Canada. It's kind of like day and night, I would imagine, for you. How'd you make that adjustment? Uh, It's very different, but uh, it wasn't a, a huge shock for me because I had like experience with North America, like uh, my sister lives in US, which is not exactly Canada, of course not, but you know, there is a lot of North American culture and a lot of, a lot of things are similar. I, I lived a year with her when I was, I don't know, 19 years old. It was an awesome experience. It, makes, it, made, it made my English bloom, got really better. So when I came here, before I moved here, I came to Canada three or four times, mostly for work. Only once was just like for vacations to get to know the city because I already had a lot of a lot of friends working here. So I came here to get to know the city, to visit these friends, and I loved it. It was an awesome experience. And since then, I kept in touch with several studios from Toronto. I kept working for them as freelancers until I, I was hired by Tendro and I started working with them. So moving here wasn't a big hustle. It was the only shock was like a family life here was is very different because all the times that I visit Canada before I came by myself almost like a single single guy life you know so when I came here with the family it's like a very different you know kind of uh, lifestyle which is good like I like the lifestyle here if I didn't I definitely wouldn't stay here because if you have to you have to put up with the cold right during the winter. Right. So you really want needs to want to stay here to right. to stay right. here. <laughs> right. It's it's really kind of the opposite of Brazil. And and it's interesting you're from Brazil. My my new favorite writer over the past couple of years has been uh, Paulo Coelho. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah, he's and, huge. Yeah, he's huge, and uh, I've been recommending him to everybody I know. Fantastic author. This is a shameless plug for him. I don't. I've never plugged an author on. Uh, the show before, but uh, if you're looking for some really deep, fantastic uh, literature to read, Paulo Coelho is uh, an incredible writer. Um, Well, let's talk about Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and uh, growing up, you know, obviously at some point you had an event or you saw a movie or something happened that triggered you and got you excited about the potential of getting into the business of visual design. Tell me about that. For sure. Uh, it's a very interesting story, actually. I think it started like most of designers, right? Like we see posters and we go like, man, this is amazing. Like 
there's something I can do to make that, you know, to work with that for a living. Uh, design in general, vinyl covers, magazines, all this kind of stuff. I was always amazed at comic books, everything related to graphic design somehow was always amazed me very much. Well, as soon as I learned there was graphic design school, I aimed for that and I did. Uh, I went to graphic design uh, college in Rio. It was very early stage of motion graphics, so nobody can, nobody knew what motion graphics back then. That was, I don't, 2005. That that tells how how old I am. I started to get interested in motion graphics, but it was very early. It was mostly like flash animations, a little bit like After Effects was. If you wanted to learn After Effects, was only through books. But After Effects was something that was very far away from. It was like, oh, this is for the pros. You know, I I'm never gonna get there. It's. I went to um, to a talk in a web web design event, and there was this Brazilian designer, which was already quite famous in the motion graphics community, uh, Nando Costa. I, after his his talk, he talked a lot a lot about about motion graphics. He was just you know he was already a reference worldwide, but he was in a, a web web design event, so everybody there was still like. What's this guy talk, This guy talking about? There was a lot of developers and programmers and coders there. Not much designers per se. It was funny to see like everybody was just in shock. Like this is this is nothing that I've ever that I've ever seen. And I remember seeing that. And I was like, this is really what I want to do. And I started to you know dig into that a little bit more. Started buying started started buying After After Effects books. And you know there was no YouTube, anything like that. So it was always like exchanging CDs with friends, uh, with tutorials and you know workshops and etc. And I think when things started to pick up for me uh, in the industry. How old were you at the time when this all started to churn for you? Oh man, okay. So 2001, I was 19. So 2000, it was 2005, 2006 ish, something like this. So I was 24, 25, something like this. What did you do with that? Now you're you're super jacked up about motion graphics. How did you start to really add value by getting the tools you needed so you can actually make this your career path? Well, I had no idea how to do that, right? Like it's just something that was uh, graphic, motion graphic was something very far away. So. I think I just started to, you know, reach people that I knew that, that had some kind of proximity with it. I had some friends working in a in a video production company. They used to do mostly like 3D commercials, but with characters and you know stuff for politics. Nothing super interesting. So I I reached them and they kind of knew how to get into the industry, although they weren't doing like extreme motion graphics. And I think we all started to grow together into that industry, right? Like we all started to connect the dots and talk about like, have you seen this other, this new designer? You know, have you seen this this conference that happens, you know, in Europe? And I think I wanted to, you know, get into the industry. And Rio is not very famous for having a lot of studios for motion graphics. I mean, there's a lot of motion graphics artists there, a lot of very good people. There are some awesome studios, but not many, especially in 2005, 2006. There was just like a handful of it. So I just started applying and then I started to get to know more people and my break in the industry per se, because it wasn't actually motion graphics was uh, there was this group of animators that was, they were starting a movie, an animation movie, all done in Flash. Nothing like that has ever been done in, in Brazil. 
and even in the world, I don't think there was many flash movies back then. You know, they needed a, an, an After Effects compositor, and I had no idea what that meant. Matt. But this friend of mine was working there, and he told me, look, man, I, I know it's not exactly what we are looking for, but like we are going to learn a lot here. So uh, I applied for the job. They asked for a reel. I did not have a, had a reel. I didn't expect they were going to take me in for an interview. So they told me, okay, can you come back here tomorrow morning? I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Do I have a reel? I was like, yeah, yeah, I have a reel. So I just went to a pool all-nighter just to do some kind of crazy animations, just to get something done and to present them. And, and then I got the job. And then it was like I spent a year and a half there, or two years, uh, just like After Effects day and night, a lot of volume of just compositing and learning plugins, learning the tool. So there was not much design uh, applied, but the tool, like I, I mastered as much as I could back then. Yeah, and after that, a year and a half there, I realized, okay, I love the, the tool, I would love to keep working with that, but this is not what I want to do. I'm not a compositor, I don't want to work with character animation and this kind of stuff. So I, I started to look for studios in Rio. I didn't find anything that, you know, was very interesting. There wasn't many, as I, as I said previously. So I just started to email studios around the world. And luckily, you know, some studios started to call me back and then I started my freelancer career. It was very scary because I quit my job to, you know, focus on that, but things worked out pretty well. Well, your, your work is world-class. Uh, your portfolio is incredible. As a matter of fact, that, is it Hoblot, the, the watch piece that you did? Um, uh, what is it? Uh, the Square Bang. Oh my goodness. Man. Square Bang, yeah. That is just a sensational piece. And it's right on top, number one. It's really a great way to, to look at your body of work. I'm just curious, what was, what was the piece that you created that got you in the door that you pulled an all-nighter on? Oh man, it's that, that kind of stuff that you can never share again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that I don't have it anymore. I have something very close to it somewhere. And, uh, but it was just like playing with Trepco in particular and trying to get some, a lot of design into it because I wasn't a great animator back then. So I just started to put everything I could from graphic design and just started animating some cameras, some typography, but you know, it's definitely not the kind of stuff that you have in your portfolio nowadays. So, are your parents creative? Where where did some of this come from? Typically, what I find is a lot of guests, their parents were creative, but not anything really remotely close to what it was that they ended up doing. Uh, is your father and mother? Did they have? Are they artists of any kind? I asked myself a lot that when I was younger. They never pushed me into any kind of creative work, like creative things, like they are not creative. My, my father has some of it on himself, but he never worked with creativity. He was never like a, a creator per se. But every time I had some kind of schoolwork, he was, you know, my guide. Like I remember I had to do, I'll never forget that day that I had to draw some animals or I, I don't know, I was 10, something like this. And my father drew this beautiful bird, you know, it was beautiful, beautiful, it was like that. I never knew you know how to draw. I was like, oh, this is nothing. I was like, why, why is he saying that's nothing? And then talking with him after I got a little older, he told me, because I never met my grandfather uh, on my father's side. My father said, no, I, your grandfather was like a real artist, I, an inventor, an entrepreneur, like he had it all, you know, uh, but he died really young. He was 
I don't know, 60, close to 60. I never get to see his body of work. And my father said that they had this huge collection of paintings and, you know, frames, beautiful work, but they lost it in on floodings because my father used to live in a place in Brazil called the Espírito Santo. There was a lot of floodings there and they lost it all in there. So they had to restart their life. But anyways, uh, they, but they always pushed me to do whatever I wanted. They had a business. They used to sell stones and gems and not, not like diamonds or anything like that, but more like uh, amethyst, emeralds, and they had also some, um, there was some craft in it. They had some stone birds, they used to sell it, but they weren't, they weren't the sculptors, you know, they had the formula, so they would hire a big team to work for them and they would sell it worldwide in Brazil as well. But in the beginning, they started to think that I, me or my sister, we would have to work with them. Uh, and we did when we were quite younger, like, you know, like almost like a, a summer job, right? But they never pushed me to do that. They always, always were very supportive about, you know, do what you want to do. Like, this is what we end up doing. Like, it paid for, for our living. It paid for your school. I hope you have the same luck as us. If you want to keep working with us for our, uh, or keep the business going, it's up for you guys, for you and your sister. But whatever you want to do, we, we are full, fully supportive. It sounds like your grandfather was a true renaissance man of his day. Yeah, he would be very, like, I think he was a very rare person back then. And imagine I, nowadays would be totally very rare person. Were you guys able to get any of his stuff, uh, rescue any of his art? Not actually. My father, I remember some years ago, my father still was like, then it must be somewhere because he has four sisters, uh, three sisters and one brother. And he kept asking himself, it must be somewhere. I can't believe we lost everything. So he kept asking his sisters, his brother, but nobody knew where he was. So either he's in the basement on someone's house or they really lost it. Mm -hmm. But but I remember him saying like several times that they had a lot and then they lost it all. Mm -hmm. And then they had a lot and then they lost it all over and over again in like in these floods and you know, these kind of things. So did you draw as a child? Was any of that part of you growing up? Or did did you just kind of bypass that whole thing and then at one point just hit the digital world pretty hard? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I drew a lot when I was a child. A lot, a lot. Especially like in the influence of video games and, you know, cartoons, like uh, comics. I remember having like this big collection of drawings. And, and there was this point in my life where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I want to go, you know, right before... Uh, college and etc. Like I, I had no idea what to do with my life. I didn't discover that graphic design was a thing. You know, I loved it, but I didn't know what was it. I had all these drawings, and I thought I threw it away. And one day, my mother came to me with like this big bin with like all of my drawings, and it was like a, such an awesome uh, surprise. You know, I, I had already moved away from Brazil. I was here already in Canada, so I went back there. And I was looking for a no document for me because you know when you immigrate you always need a bunch of documents to you know restart your life. So I, I told her like where are my all, all my old documents those those that those ones that you'll probably never need again. I was like oh it's in this bin back there just check it check there. And I was checking I saw all these cartoons and and drawings but uh, it's a shame that I didn't keep drawing uh, on my adult life. I do it once in a while but it's definitely not something that you know. I pursued or or I had such a passion for it and I think that the digital world just like sparked me something that I 
did the transfer of my creativity for, to the digital world, you know? When do you think you stopped drawing? Uh, I think it was in the end of my teenage years, around 17, something like this, where I was really like struggling to, I wouldn't say struggling, but I, you know, you're at that point where you're trying to, you know, learn who you are, what kind of music do you really like, you know, you are trying to fit in and not trying to fit in at the same time because you still like your stuff, you want your stuff. And at this moment I was, I don't know, I just lost interest in a lot of stuff and got interested in other stuff. I, it's hard just to be precise, to be honest. Yeah. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Now that you've, you've discovered this thing, you, you've got a lot of passion for it, you're in Brazil. How do you start to facilitate progressing in your professional career? Uh, you find that one particular opportunity. What does that end up leading you to uh, next after that? When I left the animation studio to start working as a freelancer, I had some like, I don't know, three studios that I would constantly keep working for them. Uh, that They were tiny studios back then. Some of them are, are huge now. Some of them disappeared and, you know, three or four studios and some of them are just still around, but, you know, they didn't grow a lot or they didn't move any to any, any way, any direction. I saw that that was interesting that American and European studios were, you know, taking me in for work. I know I knew my rate was very, very low because I needed to get in the industry, right? So I couldn't uh, ask for the, I, I didn't even know what was the right price. What, how could I know, right? Like I didn't have any friends working as freelancer for, for abroad. And the economy was pretty bad in Brazil back then. So whatever I made in dollars was still pretty good for a guy just starting his professional life. You know, right. so I think after getting into the industry, very kind of in a soft mode, I realized that I had to keep pushing. I had to keep, you know, try to contact the right people, trying to get into the right places. There was these forums, these job forums that was mostly for the industry, for video and design industry. You know, since I didn't know anyone, I just kept pushing further on those forums and kept getting accepted for jobs. And, you know, things just kept moving forward organically. Like producers, they would move to another studio so, and they would, you know, call me back. Like people would talk in this industry, like like how it is supposed to happen, right? If you do your job right, if everything goes smoothly, like everybody wants a professional that works like that. And I think I, I hit the, the right buttons. Everything was moving forward for me in that sense. And I just kept moving forward. And, and for learning and, uh, you know, this kind of other technical skills, I think it's just something in, in our industry that we know we have to keep pushing forward, learning new softwares like C4D was, it wasn't very popular uh, back then. Like they had just started their uh, MoGraph module. And it was, I think when that happened, everybody was like, this is pretty cool, right? This is pretty cool for motion graphics. I don't remember the year that happened. I didn't want to become like a 3D, you know, a super 3D specialist designer. I loved After Effects, I loved 2D animation. It was interesting, like the possibilities were wider, right? If you can do something in 3D. So I think I started mixing a little bit with 3D, learning a little bit of C4D here and there. Things also started to keep moving forward in that direction where I would be called to do some style frames or some like, um, just getting some art direction, animating them or having some possibilities of animation and testing things out, a little bit of R&D. 
but I never went crazy into the C4D world. I think I always took the C4D as a tool to uh, improve and help me with my design style, like where, and, and as I said before, widen the possibilities of uh, motion graphics, right? And style frames. And besides that, I think I just like kept going for some conferences uh, in Rio, in Sao Paulo, uh, sometimes abroad, and trying to get more people. And I think in this, in, in this industry, this kind of stuff, after you do the take the right steps, get to know the right people, things just move kind of organically really well. Tell me about how COVID affected you personally and professionally, because of course that changed everything uh, about the way we do business the type of business we're doing and the quantity of business over the, that couple of years. G give me some ideas of survive that or actually took advantage of that opportunity. I work in a studio, right? I work at Andrew, and uh, it, I'm sure it was a very different experience for different professionals in like working as, free, as freelancers and as uh, staff. So for us, it was like this moment of fear, like nobody knew what was going to happen. Not that we were afraid of losing our jobs, but we were a little skeptical about how things were going to move, move forward, right? And I think most studios adapted really well. Professionally-wise, it didn't affect me at all. Uh, it didn't affect me at all. I, things just kept moving really well at the studio. Uh, we, I, the interesting thing is that I got to work with more and more professionals from around the globe. One of the difficulties was the time zones, right? Because now that we can, it's not that we couldn't, we always could work with people from everywhere and we did. But now we are getting, we were getting these people as staff, as part of our day to day, as part of like, you know, we have to make these people fit in, in jobs because now they are part of the studio. And that means that we're going to have more and more people from different time zones working with us on the day to day basis. So there was a lot of learning on how to deal with that, you know, all the, these professionals on different time zones. You have to, you probably, you basically have to do feedbacks uh, on their work, like in the end of your day, or maybe even a little later after you finish work, you know, you, I, I, I get the, I do the family chores and then I go back to the computer and, you know, make sure everything is moving forward. There was some of these challenges at work, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it affected me too much. But personally, it was a little crazy. And I think I'm pretty sure I can say for that to everyone that's uh, at home, especially families, like when you have kids and you have to adapt to that. And I had, I just had a newborn coming and I had to move because I, was, I lived in a condo back then. And I had this newborn coming, the condo, the plan was to stay in the condo another year, but you know, the COVID was very, very hectic in Canada. I mean, everywhere, but Canada was like, they were closing the parks. You couldn't get into a playground with your kids. You couldn't go, you couldn't walk in parks. So if you're living in a condo, you're living in prison. You're, you know, you're in prison. You can only go to like to the groceries and you know, there's this huge line. Everything was a nightmare. And you just basically just working and surviving. So it was a decision that we had to move to a house when we at least have a, a little office for myself. And but all these things combined made like a very difficult first year of COVID. The first year of COVID was very, very hard for all of us. Like there was people struggling a lot in the studio. Uh, I was struggling a lot, getting very, very stressed. 
And after this one year of like digesting this new lifestyle and how, how can we make things get better? And, you know, we did little movements, for example, moving to a different place, more adapted for our new needs and changing your, your day-to-day routine as well, like taking long walks and, you know, trying to stay more time outside, you know, just letting the sun hit, hitting you for a little bit, uh, almost like taking a, a break for a smoke. I almost felt like I needed to learn to smoke just to do that, just to go outside. So I started to push, pushing myself just to go outside a little bit. And, and after that, I had like an incredibly productive year. Like I started doing a lot of stuff that I always wanted to do. I started to reading a lot more. I was reading like more books. I was learning more software. I was learning to play guitar. I was, you know, spending more time with my family. It was, it was a struggle in the beginning, but then it was this nice, curve of like a learning curve for like for your new life so yeah that, that's what i can say for covid and i know everybody had a different experience but everybody struggles somehow so do you think maybe that things being taken away from you abruptly the things that we typically take for granted like literally just going outside and going for a walk that kind of stimulated you to have a, a new appreciation for uh the opportunity to actually live and uh and I think that may be part of the reason that that even existed. I mean, that's being metaphysical, of course, but that's the opportunity that's presented in the crisis of the tragedy is what now, what do you do with it now that it's here? What adjustments do you make? How do you take advantage of the lesson? And I, I feel that a lot of people, and, and especially in the creative industry who had to make some shifts, who actually benefited a lot from Go, having to go home, be with their families, adjust their routines and their schedules, put them in a much better life place of creating this new balance. Do you feel that that kind of applied to you? Absolutely. I think was everything you said was uh, so well put because that's what basically happened. Like you had to adapt and we, as humans, we are pretty good at that, right? At, at, at adapting. Yeah, I think it was just a very steep, a learning curve that it take a little while to you know get going but once we adapt and learn to live with these new restrictions and how to take advantage of this new this new reality i think things went a lot more smoothly and i think we're in this new, new moments now where we are all like covid's over right and then you read the news uh there are some new rules coming in and things like I think that was the moment where things started to get really hard for everyone. That about, I don't know, six months ago or maybe eight months ago where everybody was ready to get done with COVID. We are done, like there's no third wave is over. Let's, you know, let, let's leave again. And then new restrictions, a, a new, a third, uh, a booster shot. You had to take a booster shot and nobody knew was that what was going to happen like are we going back to lockdown a lot of cities were thinking about going back to lockdown toronto was were thinking about going back to lockdown and they did get more strict uh, they, they did get more strict in some rules again and people just started to freak out like i was one of the guys one of the people that was like i can't go back to you know be locked in my in my house again even though like i could go to parks and etc but i want to see my friends i want to uh, have a dinner with, with some other friends. I want to go to a party, to a bar. And the first time I went to a bar, <laughs> I got ah, COVID. <laughs> of of course. course. Murphy's Law. Of course. 
Murphy's Law yeah. at its best. How, how did you do with, uh, did you get that in the third wave where it was essentially like a bad cold? Oh, it was, it wasn't the end of the third wave, uh, it, but it was just a cold. It, like, it didn't affect me that much, but it, I think it was a little after the third wave because we were just delivering Hublot, this uh, the project that you were mentioning. And it was the last week of the project. And of course, the last week, last week of the project is when things are, you know, very compressed, right? And as a director of the project, you can't just abandon it, you know, even though like Tendro was amazingly supportive, like, you, no, you don't have to be on the calls, you don't have to be on the dailies, take your time, you know, and I was, I was locked with my whole family, me and my wife and my two kids. We couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't go to school. They couldn't go to daycare. So, and my wife couldn't go to work neither. So it was very hectic. And we had to make shifts because she was, she used to, she was working physically at, at her job. But then he, she started to have to work, come back and work from home again. And with two kids was very hard. So we had to take shifts, but yeah, we, we got the job done. She got her job done as well. Everything worked fine, was very, very stressful and nothing close to what I had to do previously it was a lot harder for sure, because it's not just a matter of managing the time with the kids and it was also a matter of every 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 couple of days somebody was sick, so it started with me, then the other kid, then the, then my my wife, then the other kid. So we were like shifting between, you know, sick and busy at work and having to take care of the kids was very very stressful. I felt that was a whole like maybe six months in a week, you know, for us it was very. How crazy. did that? that dynamic that you know kind of a, a a shift in how your perception was of what your day-to-day -day was did that strengthen the family unit did that bring you guys closer together did you learn more about each other through having to go through that kind of a situation together uh, I, i'm not so sure it changed a lot from the beginning of the pan i mean not from the beginning but from the middle of the pandemic because we went through all that in the, in the beginning of the pandemic right from the beginning to the middle of it i mean i know we're not entirely over but i would consider like its final stages uh so i would say that we learned a lot in the first first year on how to you know make sure things work smoother between us and to manage our expectations as well and manage our our vices as well. And also we have to be more present. You have to be, you know, in a better mood more often. It was, that moment was like that, you know, trying to learn to deal with all of that. But this this last time, like this week, this couple of weeks I mentioned just now, it was mostly like, you know, let's go back to that, to that pace and let's just go through that because we need we need to go through that and you know this hopefully that's going to be the last time but uh, i don't think it will but that was that, that's the that's the expectation you're listening to the pure now show a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance all right so let's talk about the work we mentioned the the hoobla piece what i want to know is i want a couple of contrasting stories i'm looking for a project you may have worked on that essentially was a nightmare something that didn't go well for you that you had certain expectations and uh, perhaps they were not met but also on the other side of that you maybe learned something about how to work with a client how to work with your team uh, give me just kind of a you know without n needing to mention any names some kind of a story of of, of a client management and a, and a project that didn't really go that well 
Uh, for sure. Uh, and it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that uh, because before getting into a, the project itself, uh, at Tendro we have this uh, creative catch-up uh, and actually there's creative catch-up and there is the director's connect where the directors and the creative directors, we like spend an hour together during the week just talking about new tools new projects that we're working, new techniques, or, you know, just something cool that we saw online. And it's just like a, a free-for-all exchange of ideas and techniques and etc. And we always try to, we try to follow, you know, uh, certain topics, but not, not always. And one of the topics was like, how can we improve as creative directors and directors? You know, what, what, you know, what can improve besides just being a better designer? and a better animator or, and et cetera. Tech, tech, we, we're not talking about just the technical side, mostly the soft skills. We were talking about a lot of things, the new C4D and this new reel that just came out from this guy and et cetera. And then I remember about something that, you know, there's something that we have to make sure to tell the new, the new designers and new employees that how the industry works uh, in this aspect, which is, uh, manage the clients in, in a way that, you know, you, you're always going to get some pushback. I mean, not always. We have amazing clients as well that sometimes you don't have to do anything. They just sit back and say, do your thing. You guys are doing amazing. But once in a while, you get this nightmare clients, right? Where things go out of hand and you get into that mood. Like after, I don't know, the 20th try to make it work, you just, you just go like, you know what? Just tell me what to do, man. I just want to wrap it up this project. But we never want to be in that mood. We never want to be in that position. That that's not what no that's not what we do. But we have to prepare the designers. We have to prepare the students and you know the people that are, are aspiring to get it in the industry. That you know sometimes you have to learn to manage your expectations as well, not just the client expectations because you never know what the client is gonna expect is expecting. Sometimes he tells you something and. It's because they don't know what they want. And you have to learn to deal with that too. So the, what, the thing that we, you know, the key words that we mentioned for that is always be positive, no matter what happens. Like the client can be a pain, yes, it happens once in a while. Uh, or even like um, a, lot of, a lot of the times it's maybe an agency in between that's not doing the jo their job really well, communicating, connecting you and the client. And you know that maybe if I just had a conversation with the clients, you know, things would, would go better. That doesn't happen very often as well. The agencies that we work with are very professional. They are always, they, they, are, they are our partners for sure. But once in a while, you'll get someone that just, you know, they're just not doing the job. And we have to learn to manage these expectations, to manage, you know, our uh, partnerships as well. And, you know, just teach people that, this is gonna happen at some point. Keep yourself together, be positive, and the, other, the people on the other side there are always also people as well. So maybe they're going through a rough time and they're not they're not able to manage it as well as you are. Uh, so this is this is a very important thing that to keep in mind when you are, in, especially since you're in the industry for so long, right? And and I think was very curious that everybody was like, you know what, man, we never tell that to people coming in the industry. We never talk that between ourselves. We just, when, you, when we get into that, in that situation, we just complain like, oh my God, this client is a nightmare. But you know, it's also part of the job, managing this kind of stuff. 
I think that sums up a little bit of what you asked, right? Without having to name specific sure. projects. But yeah, but we, we had this these problems before and but it's happening less and less often. I think it's also because we're having closer and closer relationships with our clients. And a lot of our clients are more we are more in a collaboration style of work than just working for them, you know? It's very interesting how things are moving on our end in that sense. Uh, we are collaborating a lot more than years ago. And is that happening online more? I mean, obviously people are working remotely. You have clients all over the world. Uh, it's just standard practice now for, you know, taking a Zoom or a Google Meet meeting and, and hashing out a creative brief and, and doing updates. And uh, are you finding that doing business in that way where you're somewhat disconnected personally, meaning you're not right in front of the person, is that helping uh, having that objectivity? Is, it, is that uh, creating more of a disconnection where you have to uh, be more proactive uh, with information? How, how has that changed uh, from direct client interaction to remote client interaction? Yeah, I think we had a lot of experience working remotely for clients. Like if you look at Tendra's website, there is a lot of Microsoft there, right? And Microsoft's not here in Canada. They are in the United States. Most of, a lot of our jobs, we also, projects we also took from agencies in, in the United States and in Europe. So a lot of our work was already remote, you know, especially client connection, client contact was already remote. And I, I would say it's a lot more than in person. So for us, I think this was a very organic shift. Was a very was very easy to shift from in person to Zoom calls and etc. It was mostly a matter of like having the right tools, learning to collaborate even more, even closer, because now it wasn't just the clients, it was the you know all the employees as well. And but you asked about the client connection and the client uh, relationship. I think it didn't affect us very much. It didn't. It wasn't a big shift for us. Let's for hear sure. about the dream job, the job that comes in, everything's going great. You guys are super stoked with the end result. The clients, you know, thrilled with the uh, the product that you delivered, and uh, maybe this is your flagship project or something that you can say is the epitome of why you're doing what you're doing. I would say we, we've been getting a lot of dream jobs. And I'm very lucky to be where I am at Tendra right now because I'm, I'm being able to enjoy this kind of uh, moment, you know, where we're getting, as I was mentioning, we are getting so close to, to the clients. And even when it's not just like an old client, we learn to collaborate really well. And this is really reflecting in our results. Uh, Hublot is, is a client where you can clearly see we have a lot of some, we have already some videos with them, some uh, some projects with them, and you can clearly see that you know they all come come out really well. The client super pleased, and we have such an amazing relationship with them. Microsoft as well. There was so many good stuff that we've done with them. They you know I wasn't part of this start of relationship because when I come back here to Canada, I wasn't a, a director. But, you know, but I was in contact with the directors and you, I got to see things progressing and moving forward. And I, I can easily say that we are 
like we get a lot of dream jobs very frequently, very frequently at Tendro. But it was a, a construction. It wasn't always like that. That right? Like we did a lot of job, a lot of projects with like low budgets, where like we knew we wouldn't make a dime. And but we, you know, we need to get, we need to get known by the industry. We need to get, you know, get to know the right clients, the right agencies. And it was just the right project. You know, it was just the right project. So I think that th this kind of attitude in the beginning, like, put us put us where we are right now, like to be collaborative and no matter if like the penny, no matter the budget back then, but we just needed to make something beautiful. We just made, wanted to communicate well and to, you know, deliver something where everybody would be pleased, us and the clients. And things progressed really well in that sense. For I sure. know in this industry, people log a lot of hours. It takes quite a commitment to, um, develop these projects, complete them, uh, deliver them. Give me an idea of how you have uh, created some balance in your life as well as the culture at Tendril that it's kind of, is it a people first? How do you make sure you're getting what you need so you have time with your family, you have time for yourself? What's, what's kind of the strategy or your practice for ensuring that you have good health? Absolutely, that's a great question. And it's funny because I had a little bit of con uh, thought about that maybe a, a year ago. I think I even posted something on LinkedIn about that, about that. Is that I think in general, the industry matured a lot in that sense. You know, like I don't see much people like pulling all-nighters that frequently anymore. I don't see, I remember going to, uh, this is perfect. I remember going to um, conferences in the early, I don't know, 2010, 2011, uh, even a little bit. And people were always bragging that, you know, like to deliver this project, you know, they would punch their chest to deliver this project. I worked all night. I didn't sleep for five days. And everybody was like, oh my God, this guy is amazing, you know? And that was a culture that was like very, everybody, nobody wanted to go through that but everybody expected to go through that at some point in their career. And I'm not saying that you're never gonna have to do that anymore. Uh, once in a while that happens, but I can count in, a, in one hand per year how many times I have to do that. Pulling all-nighters, it's very, 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 I'm sorry, very, very rare. But uh, back to the to my uh, my comments. Uh, and I think the, the industry itself mat matured a lot. I think it's a mix of things. Motion graphics was very new. We didn't have the proper tools. Uh, even After Effects progressed a lot in a lot of ways to, you know, to get us to do what we want more, more flex with more flexibility. C4D progressed as well a lot. Uh, we have different renders now, and you know, and I know this is this is all like technicalities because depending on the culture of the studio you're working from, you're working at, they that might not matter. You know, they they might have that culture like that old kind of Steve Jobs, you know, kind of thought like, you know, if you're not working 12 hours a day, you're not, you know, you're not doing your best. And I think that kind of died in the industry. That doesn't exist anymore. I won't say, you know, for every studio, but you don't hear that very often. And Tendril culture is very centered in, in a sense where like people first, absolutely people first, but that also was a progression. That also was, you know, things changed through time. 
we were all younger. Everybody was younger at Tendrew and in the industry as a whole. And that's why I say that I think the industry matured a lot because people in this industry matured. They were like, we were kind of the first, I wouldn't say the very first generation because there was motion graphics before my generation. But, you know, it wasn't that broad. Uh, it wasn't with so many people with so uh, many different styles and and the in industry grew a lot and people just got older and everybody realized well we gotta have our lives as well this can't go forever now i'm you know a founder of a studio a director would go i'm getting close to 50 years old i can't do that anymore and and i think everybody learned to you know to get things on time, you know, and to do your best with the time that you have with the proper tools. And working remotely, I would absolutely say that that's helped uh, in that sense as well. And there are the, the pros and cons about working remotely, right? So, but talking, but when we talk about work-life balance, my experience at the studio is that most people adapted really well and that's helped. But, you know, there is always some people that struggle a little bit more because they need people around or they just need to leave this, leave home to go to the studio and have their routine. But, yeah, I, I would say that there was this this big shift in the industry for the last so 10 years. So what do you do for yourself? What, what, what are your extracurricular activities? How do you balance yourself, you know, outside of being a professional motion designer and, and working in that environment? What do you do to make sure that you're taken care of? Now you really want to know how much yes, of a nerd exactly I am, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> of course, of course. So, yeah, I have a lot of hobbies and sometimes it's even hard for me to decide when I have some, some free time, which I try to, you know, take take some free time every day. So I like to spend time with my, my older kid, of course, with the youngest as well, but he goes to bed really early. So I like to... After work, you know, just lay down with him and watch a cartoon with him just, just for fun. And then I put him to bed. And usually what I like to do is either, you know, play a video game. I, I meet some friends so we can, uh, sometimes I can meet some friends just to play Dungeons and Dragons or board games. We love playing board games together, we, even with like some of the guys at Tendro as well. I was missing a lot being able to go to bars and meet some friends there. Like this is was always like one of my top relaxation moments was just, you know, to meet some friends, you know, talk about life, talk about work, talk about how things are going, you know, just, you know, relax a little bit, go out of the house and things are finally going in that sense as well. But I'm always trying to learn something, you know, as I said, like I, you know, as a kid, I always loved rock and roll and, you know, and, but I never had my, my guitar. I never had my electric guitar or anything like that. So I got one one electric guitar from a friend and I just, you know, downloaded this all these lessons and stuff, just to try to learn and I got the hang of it really fast. That was in the beginning of the pandemic. And and then I realized that, you know, finally now that I have more time at home, I have more time to enjoy my hobbies and, you know, always learn something new. So I would say that my hobbies are always like learn something new and just spend time with friends and family for sure like it's a i think it, it makes really well for my for my head and my creativity as well you're listening to the pure now show a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance what kind of advice would you have for 
maybe young people coming up in the business, you know, now that the software is efficient and uh, abundant and available, anybody like yourself uh, who's got any kind of ambition in that area can just learn how to do it like you did. But now there's a new environment. It's not the same as it was when you started out. So uh, what could you tell uh, somebody to help them avoid some of the pitfalls, some of the unnecessary suffering as it were, to give them some guidance on how to approach coming into this industry? Yeah, that's a very good question. Also because I do get this these questions a lot uh, on emails, on, on LinkedIn as well, on I mean, even on Facebook sometimes. A lot of people starting in the industry like ask, you know, get in touch with with you know uh, with me and ask me like, how how did you get where you are? Like how I, I have all these difficulties. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to learn. I think this is the main thing right now, right? There is so much information. If you open YouTube and type C4D, where I'm gonna start? If you go there and type After Effects, motion graphics, where do you start? You don't know. So I think a lot of people is also very concerned about you know, learning something and stick with it. Like I need to become a specialist in this. I don't think anybody has to be a special, I mean, you don't have to focus on being a specialist too. You can become a specialist later. Worry about that later. I wouldn't tell anyone starting your profession right now or just in college or, or finishing college to like, you know what, decide right now that you're gonna have to be a Houdini animator and you know, a C4D uh, motion graphic designer. You have to decide right now. This is ridiculous. I think it's very common to have this kind of uh, perception in the industry that you have to learn very early the tool that you're gonna master. But I think you, you never actually know what you're gonna master until you try a lot of stuff. That goes for life in general, to be honest, in my opinion. But I think starting as a generalist and you know keeping your mind open to new experiences and new softwares and new techniques and meeting new people, I think it's very, very helpful. And I think it's a very health, healthy advice for anyone, not, not just young people, but, but even people that are struggling at any moment in their career, maybe I'm not going to the right direction. Just keep your mind open and you know, and, and do your best. Things things will come up. And the other thing is, uh, with the advance of you know social media and even because of the pandemic as well, everybody's working from home and trying to keep conversations flowing online more frequently. I think it's a very good time to try to connect with people that you admire. Don't be afraid to email someone that you really admire, maybe a director that you see their, their work and you love it. And you, you think, oh, this guy's so far ahead. So, so, he's in another galaxy. He's never gonna reply to me. I think this is also a very common mistake on people just starting in the industry. But we are all people, everybody's all people. The students just, it's just a, a person trying, you know, to find their place in the universe. The very experienced creative director is someone that being through all that, so they they probably will empathize with that, you know? And yeah, don't be afraid, connect with people. You'll, you'll be surprised with the okay, results. Okay, my last Absolutely. question is this. Let's say you could not do what you're doing anymore. There is no more motion graphics. You have to find something else to do. What kind of passions do you have? What would you, how would you go about living the rest of your life without motion graphics? 
Wow, that's a that's a deep and profound question, man. <laughs> oh my God, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a a video game tester. <laughs> I wanted to be one of those guys writing the, about the games in the magazines. Remember when there was all these magazines about video games? That was my dream job when I was a kid. But it's an interesting question to ask at this point of my life. I don't know, man. I don't think I can live without motion well, graphics. <laughs> of course you can. I mean, uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, just think about your passions. You're into the guitar, you can draw. There's all kinds of things that you could do if you wanted to. It's just something that's been taken away. You still have the rest of your life. Like, you, we're not gonna remove your arms and legs from you. We're just gonna, you're, you've retired. Let's just say that you have retired you're not doing motion graphics anymore, and you have every opportunity to do anything else in the world that you want. What do you think you would want to do with that time? I would just uh, read about history. I love history. About I love uh, learning about old cultures and civilizations, and you know the the history of the world. I love astronomy as well. I spend I don't know how how many hours a week just you know looking at YouTube videos explaining new discoveries and explaining, you know, concepts about history and ast astronomy. So those things are my passions. And it's funny that now I bring this up and I, there was an actually point in my life when I was already working in the industry. And I remember reading about these free classes about astronomy in a college in Brazil. And I was like, I'm gonna do that. I am gonna do that. It's for free and it's one of the best colleges in Brazil. I am gonna do that. But of course, you know, life, right? You always, some stuff that you say that you're gonna do and I'm gonna do when I have time. And here I am, 40 years well, old and I never 40, did. Well, you're only 40, I mean, and you can still do whatever you want. I mean, it's just a matter. I wanna jump out of an airplane. There's things true. I yeah. wanna do too, but I do see time slipping away and I'm 60 now and you know, Time is kind of finite in that way, as if you don't leverage it and use it, it you can't it get it back. It's, it's one of these things that just continues to move on, so. I think my last comment about that is just like, keep learning, you know, I always, I love to keep learning. My kid is learning French in school right now, and I'm amazed with like how fast he learns, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find time on my week to do a French class as well, not just to help him, but you know, I always, I always wanted to learn a third language properly. Uh, and so keep learning about these things that amaze me, like astronomy, history, and you know, languages, and etc. I, I, I just love it all. Like, if I could, that, that's what I would okay. do. So do you think that plays answer. also well into giving advice to people in the industry to have a certain balance of doing the work and then finding those other passions so maybe you have a more well-rounded experience of life. Yeah, I think this depends a lot of your personality, of course. I, I, some people are just very happy to just stay in front of the computer and learn and learn and learn that software. You know, there was a time of my life that was like that and I didn't miss not doing right. other things during my, during my week, right? I always had the weekends for me. I always try, like even when I was a freelancer, I always try to not work on the, on the weekends, only like, important like the, if something went wrong with the project and i had to be there of course i'm not gonna ditch your client and say screw you i have my weekend uh, but i always try to not book myself on the weekends but during the week when i was in my mid-20s 
all I wanted to do was to stay in front of the computer and learn and learn and learn and practice and get better at that. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you are having fun. If you are just like worried about, I need to do this for a living, I need to do it well, I need to, you know, this is gonna be my, my job for the next 20 years. So probably I would tell you like, get a, get a hobby, you know, try to get some time for yourself to get inspired. Uh, but some people just, you know, uh, feel very happy with that. And I have friends that are about my age and they still do that. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Like you can get inspired of your own stuff uh, or your own experiments and just keep improving in, in that sense. That's totally fine as well. But my experience is try to get, get a hobby and you know other life experiences because especially traveling, traveling has done so much for me. Learning about other cultures and getting in touch with other languages. And I regret so bad that I didn't do that from early moments of my life. You know, I started traveling a lot for work when I was on my 27th, something like this. And then I started traveling like crazy for the next eight years. And I regretted that I didn't do that earlier. But at the same time, I'm very glad that I had that opportunity. You know, it's not everybody that can that have that opportunity. I know a lot of people that are as talented or even more talented as me, which is not very hard. And they just did never think they think that it's very brave for you to, you know, leave your comfort zone and go to a studio in whatever, in Berlin, in Dubai, in New York, and and you know, oh my god, my English is not even perfect. What am I gonna do there? That's okay, man. Like you already know how to communicate in a second language. Like, I think you hit on something really important and, and I've had and listen, I'm sixty now. I didn't start really traveling till five years ago and it's it's I can't say it's never too late because it can be too late, but uh, I think travel changes you as a human being and uh, opens things up that no other thing can do. I mean, you cannot look at the world through a digital screen. There's no way for you to have the emotional, physical, uh, intellectual experience of being immersed in another culture and how that helps you grow as a, as a human being. Hey, and I, even after I came back from Thailand in uh, uh, 2016, I was telling college students that for the price of an iPhone, you can go live in Thailand for a year and, uh, and learn something new and, and have an experience that's unforgettable. And I think that still holds true today that people typically don't know the real value in travel and think it's this more luxurious thing to do versus... A, uh, a human development activity of, of, of exposing yourself to things. And that's why we're here on this planet, is to roam, to go cross these imaginary boundaries and find out more about ourselves, uh, let alone about other people and other cultures. And I think it's critical. It's, it's where young people are missing the boat and I think they're getting further and further from travel as their experience becomes more uh, of the digital nature, which to me is more of a, a, a disconnection uh, than a connection to our uh, global reality. But uh, I'm hoping at some point that we, we get back to that, that we, we are hungry to, to discover and go out and not conquer, but be a part of this global experience and and see how much there is out there. It's incredible. I mean, I've, 
I've done nothing in comparison to some in that way, but I'm super grateful and have no regrets, thankfully, that I did at least gamble a little bit and, and go out later in life and do something that makes me feel really good, like really good. That's amazing, Mark. That's totally true. Like this, uh, a lot of people is, you know, growing up in this new reality and yeah, like it will change their, 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 their mind, you know, like that's traveling is something super rare and it shouldn't, right? So you, it, you're, you're right. This is something very, Well, very we have to encourage people uh, to do this. You. We have to positively motivate them and, and demonstrate the ease. I mean, literally, you can get a round trip ticket to Saigon for like 500 bucks. You can't even go from LA to New York for $500. So there's some real advantages in coming to like Southeast Absolutely. Asia where it's super cheap to do everything in a very calm, loving, welcoming culture. And I think it's imperative that especially young people that have the ability that maybe take a year off from going to a, a university, that they go find themselves in another place and it will change everything about them. And it could change the world just by going to see other parts of the world before yeah, before we can't see do that for whatever reason. I mean, we've got this war brewing in Europe right now, and who knows what's gonna end up from that. It's it's getting more critical and dangerous, and, and we have to take exactly. these opportunities when we can to live, and things like COVID and war are the reminders that things could end at any time that our life is finite in this particular aspect of life. And if we don't take advantage of the opportunity to truly live, then we will not, we will not receive the results that we want from this life because we didn't take advantage of the opportunities. That's great, Mark. And yeah, I'm happy totally that you're out. So well, you, you left Brazil, you're in Canada now, the, the much nicer America. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's very cool that, that you have exposed your children to this, your family to this. And, and I really appreciate you being on the show, Gabriel. Uh, uh, it was great to talk with you and, and hear some of your experiences. And uh, of course, uh, wish you all the best uh, in the future. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.